Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Most people don't realize that cannabis is serious business that requires serious technology solutions. Hi, I'm Terry from Sunstate Technology Group. We are seriously proud to provide technology and security systems that help cannabis companies compete and succeed. From planning and expansion to hardware and daily IT support, I'm here to tell you that having the right technology is critical to security and smooth business operations. Partner with a technology team that understands the unique needs of this industry. For details, visit sunstatetech.com cannabis. sunstatetech.com cannabis. And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I'm glad you could join us. When Congress legalized agricultural hemp with the passage of the 2018 Farm Bill, it seemed like the hemp industry would finally be out of the woods from a regulatory standpoint. The measure clearly legalized all parts of the hemp plant, including its derivatives, so it defies logic that the FDA is creating obstacles for hemp CBD producers and that everyday people are still being arrested for possession of hemp biomass and extracts. Just last week, a 67-year-old great-grandmother was arrested at the happiest place on earth when a Disney World employee discovered a bottle of CBD in her purse after a routine inspection at the park entrance. You may also recall us talking about the truck driver who was arrested in Idaho with a load of freshly harvested hemp on its way from Oregon to a processing plant in Colorado just weeks after the hemp measure was signed into law. Incidents like that leave most of us scratching our heads, considering that hemp is now legal at the federal level, and hemp-derived CBD is a harmless molecule that is naturally produced in our own bodies when we're young. Let's face it, legal hemp just seems to be an oxymoron. Minutes after the hemp measure was signed into law, the FDA blindsided the elated industry with its stern warning that only one CBD product has ever been approved for sale in the U.S. and that all other hemp CBD products would remain illegal until they can be approved by the FDA. The only exception to this would apply to the manufacturing and sale of CBD which would be limited to the states that had included CBD provisions in their state marijuana policy measures. But you see, that's a catch-22, as I've mentioned before, especially when you consider that most state ballot measures never bothered to name CBD because it was already thought to be legal and had been readily available online from anywhere in the U.S. ever since the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals deemed foods containing foreign-grown hemp derivatives legal in all 50 states back in 2004. It wasn't until the end of 2016 when the DEA assigned CBD its own controlled substance code to separate it from marijuana in Schedule 1 that the legality of hemp CBD was called into question. 
That surprise move caused a reversal on the Ninth Circuit 2004 rule and a subsequent cascade of new policy restrictions on the industry, including policy reversals in states like California, which never named CBD under their marijuana legalization measures. Despite the fact that Congress actually intended to legalize all aspects of hemp, including the derivatives in all 50 states, that measure may have actually made matters worse. And not just for the industry, but also for the patients who have come to rely on CBD for health reasons. Taking the oversight away from the DEA and handing it over to the FDA seems to have opened Pandora's box. I mean, whereas the DEA had far better things to do than police the CBD industry after it became coded as a controlled substance, the FDA seems hell-bent on policing the industry as if they have nothing more important to do at all. And as a result, the industry is on notice that CBD is still a controlled substance and it is illegal to sell CBD-infused foods and beverages without FDA approval unless it's in a state that's legalized it, and transporting it interstate is a federal offense. So if the future looks bleak for the CBD industry, there are some workarounds that can help to overcome the new FDA rules but that's going to require some action on the part of everyone who has an interest in a legal CBD industry, patients and producers alike. That's the topic of today's show, and FDA attorney Rick Ball is here to help us drill down on some of the steps we can take to push through the FDA's stone walls and make sure that the light at the end of this regulatory tunnel doesn't turn out to be the headlights of an oncoming train. Frederick, or Rick Ball, is an attorney at the Boston law firm Dwayne Morris, where he serves as a team lead of the firm's Life Sciences Biotech Industry Group and is a member of the firm's Cannabis Industry Group. As a member of the Massachusetts and Illinois State Bar Associations, the Seventh Circuit Court and the U.S. Supreme Court, Rick specializes in cannabis compliance issues as well as administrative, civil, and criminal matters having to do with the FDA, FTC, DEA, CMS, OIG, and other federal and state regulatory agencies. There simply is no one more qualified to help shed light on the FDA's confusing rules and walk us through some of the ways in which we can help to influence CBD policy changes moving forward. So, Rick, I'm so happy you could join us, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> Well, you know what? I am really familiar with what has been happening with the FDA, and we've been having some real issues because the FDA has now been given new carte blanche to have oversight over the CBD industry, which makes it really confusing for people who have been in the industry for a very long time. And we're, we're seeing, like in California, for example, their Department of Health and Human Services actually disallowed CBD-infused uh, beverages and food substances because of the rules that happened before the hemp bill was signed, and then afterward, they never adjusted that? Do you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, I can understand why people are really confused. Um, I, think, I think we need to step back just a little bit, though. And uh, the FDA is enforced, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, there's nothing new here in the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act or that's different about CBD than it is by about any other, um, either what I would call what anything else you want to put into food or you want to put into a dietary supplement. 
um, as I'm sure you probably know, there was there were clinical trials, and now there's an approved drug that contains CBD called Epidiolex. Right. And the statute basically says you can't put a, a, an active pharmaceutical ingredient into a food or a beverage. Now, what the FDA has uh, what the FDA has also said, and I think that they recognize that people are interested in these products. What they've said is if you're fully compliant with state law, they will exercise what's known as enforcement discretion, which means they're not going to try to find you in violation of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act unless you're making medical claims. And if you're making medical claims, that's a different story. Right. Does all that make sense, Snowden? That makes perfect sense. And it's interesting to me because even though when the farm bill passed in December, the federal law, it would seem, would trump state law. And even states that have not implemented any kind of medical cannabis program for patients, a lot of them are not recognizing that the farm bill passed. Like, for instance, there was a truck driver who got pulled right, over in Idaho. In yes. Idaho. Yes. And then a great grandmother was just arrested in at some Disney park that was in North Carolina, I guess, some new park. Okay. <laughs> Did you hear about this? A great yeah, grandmother. Yeah, I heard about that, but I, I, I know a lot. I've definitely I've read about the about the truck the truck driver in Idaho, and I've read the case too. Yeah. So even though in the Carolinas, they didn't have like a medical program that would allow for CBD before the, the farm bill passed, they're still arresting people. And in Idaho, that happened after the farm bill was passed. So that's even more confusion. <laughs> right. And I agree. And, I, and let, let's talk about the Idaho, the Idaho incident. Um, whether it holds up or not, I, I'm not sure it's going to hold up. And, and in full disclosure, we filed an amicus brief in that case. Um, arguing that it was improperly, improperly decided. Right. So, um, but the argument there is, is because the USDA has not yet implemented its rules that the preemption parts of the farm bill, the 2018 farm bill, haven't kicked in yet. Okay, I see. The, the USDA has is, is said that it's going to publish proposed rules, hopefully by the end of this year, and put them in place and begin implementing them by 2020. And then a state like Washington could get approval for its program um, through the USDA, and that would likely have made a difference in the trucking case. Right. And then what about the CBD issue? Because if there are so many companies that have really literally built their empires on CBD alone back when they were still going by the rules that were established under the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals case, which basically made CBD legal as long as it was made using imported hemp back then. And I think that that started in, what, uh, 2004? And so a lot of people have built their businesses on this. And then when CBD was scheduled then, assigned its own numerical code under the Schedule 1 mm -hmm. policy regarding marijuana, right? So Right, under the Controlled Substances Act, right. Right. And so that started a whole new cascade of issues, which made the Ninth Circuit then reverse their decision on the legality of food substances that contained hemp derivatives. 
Well, there are three. There are three hemp derivative hemp derivatives that are what are known as grass, generally recognized as safe for inclusion in food. It's hemp seeds, hemp oil, and I don't remember the other one right off the top of my head. But they're what are known as generally recognized as safe. And there was a submission to the FDA on those to demonstrate that they were safe. Um, so you could include hemp oil. The issue is with the CBD is because, like I said, because the, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, because there is a approved, well, it's actually farther back then. As soon as somebody did actually began clinical trials pursuant to an investigative new drug application, the active pharmaceutical ingredient could not be included in food and or beverages, in, except in some very limited circumstances. And the general consensus has been is that CBD doesn't meet those limited circumstances. Now, again, the FDA has said if you're fully compliant with state law um, and you're not making medical claims, we're going to exercise enforcement discretion. I don't think the FDA wants to be in the business of regulating local, you know, your local um, shop that's selling CBD. They, they, they've got bigger fish to fry. But if somebody is claiming that their that CBD that their CBD product cures cancer, that's a totally different story. And every one of the warning letters that I've seen come out from the FDA, all are ones in which somebody was making pretty significant health claims and medical claims. Well, they would do that if you put vitamin C in a food substance and then claimed that that cured cancer. Absolutely, right. that's exactly the point. That's why I said they're not doing anything different here than they would do for anything else. They're applying the law. In my view, they're applying the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act consistently, as, as they always have. Now, they, I do think that there might be a pathway forward. I mean, on May 31st, as you know, they're having a public hearing. And I would right. encourage any of your listeners, to, they can submit comments by July 2nd on the public docket. Um, if they have information that they think would be helpful to the FDA, I strongly encourage them to submit that information because the FDA will consider it. I think the FDA, if I had to guess, and this is purely speculation, is you that they will come up with some kind of very low threshold of CDB, CBD, sorry, that may be allowed to be infused into food. That's a very good point. And I will definitely put some information about that on our website because I think that that would be very important. And one of the one of the problems with the Ninth Circuit decision way back when, which is something I covered in an interview a long time ago, is that no, they didn't really publicize the public um, commentary period at the DEA right. at that time, and so nobody objected. Nobody knew it was a problem. <laughs> so, and then on on that fateful. December, end of December in 2016, when the announcement came out, everyone was blindsided. They're like, huh, it got scheduled? How did that happen? So, well, you mentioned the threshold, and that will be very interesting if they, if they do come up with that. But there was something else that you mentioned, too, that I wanted to go back to. There was an issue with a raid that happened, actually, um, fairly recently on a 
it, it wasn't even a dispensary. It, it wasn't a drugstore. It was basically just a small boutique that had pet food and novelty items. And uh -huh. uh, they also had like snacks and things like that for people. And they had these chocolate bars that were infused with CBD. <laughs> and they got raided by a couple of officers from the FDA and the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Police. Sure. Do, are you aware of this? Did you hear about this at all? I had not heard about this. Um, do you know if they were making any if, if they were making any medical claims? Because it, it's the same thing with pet food. I mean, you can't put it in pet food either. Right, but they did not make any medical claims. I've actually seen the labeling on it. There were okay. no medical claims being made. But they actually confiscated all of the products, the pet food and the human chocolate bars. And I'll have to look and see exactly what it was that they said. And I don't want to be misquoting anybody, but apparently it, it was something along the lines of, you know, um, the you shouldn't have anything in the pet food that is for human consumption. And by the way, CBD is not allowed for human consumption. <laughs> That well, that is basically that is correct in that you that they've said the same thing about pet food that you can't put CBD in pet food, but it's it's not because it's not for human consumption. It's for the same reasons that um, it's for the same reasons that it, that it's an active pharmaceutical ingredient according to the FDA. There's for which there is an approved drug. You, for the same reason you couldn't put some other. Um, active pharmaceutical ingredient in pet food, unless it's intended to be put into pet food. That's what that I want. Yes, absolutely. It does. And that's what it was that I wanted to go back and follow up on. Because obviously, with Epidiolex, they that Epidiolex, yeah, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's because they conducted a single clinical trial on the CBD for that one aspect, that it is now considered to be an active drug. Well, no, the no, it's an active drug because it was approved. It's an active pharmaceutical ingredient because it was approved pursuant to the filing of a of a new drug application. But the thing that prevents you from putting it into food kicks in under the statute when you begin clinical trials with what may become an active pharmaceutical ingredient, an approved active pharmaceutical ingredient in a approved new drug, and you do those trials pursuant to an investigative new drug application which is how you set out, we're going to test this, here's what, our, what the testing is that we're going to do. So when somebody did that, when they did that with CBD, at that point, the FDA's position would be this, that the statute does not allow you to put it into food and or beverages, and, it is, and you cannot put it, sell it as a dietary supplement, except in some very limited situations. That is really fascinating. And Wow. And that actually a light bulb went off, too, because in the FDA letter that came out um, shortly after the farm bill was passed, their reasoning for enforcing the CBD in Schedule 1, they were going to enforce it as a controlled substance simply because it wouldn't be fair to the pharmaceutical company who got approved. And that never made sense to me. And now all of a sudden, with what you're saying, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, they're not important. They're not doing it because it's a controlled substance. They're doing it because it's a um, because it's an, an active it's an active pharmaceutical ingredient in an approved drug product. I see. So, in order for CBD to be perfectly legal in the eyes of the FDA, then a company would have to undergo clinical trials for specific disease. You got it. And in fact, they just they just last week 
and I'm looking at my notes here, um, gave ex expedited review for another product. Um, let me see. There's Epidiolex. There is um, Sativex. Right, and Sativex, if I'm not mistaken, is actually not a natural plant substance. That's a that's a synthetic. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's correct. To, to the best of my knowledge, and then they just they put an expedited. Um, they, last week they approved something for treating um, uh, for uh, expedited review for uh, another drug product using um, CBD. The FDA did. Okay, so this is really going to constrain the industry quite a bit. Oh yeah, if... here it is. It's, it's Zygel. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. No worries. It, they, they approved for clinical fast track clinical trials the drug product Zygel for the treatment of fragile X syndrome, and that okay. was two days ago, I believe, three days ago. Okay, interesting. Wow. So you know, it just makes you wonder what's going to happen to this booming industry. I mean, it really is one of the fastest growing industries in the country, and it just goes to show that the state laws are really going to have to kick in and protect the businesses that are there and protect the patients who are ordering, like if they're in the middle of um, Arkansas and ordering it from California, <laughs> for example. Right. I totally agree with that. I th and I think, you know, ultimately, the best solution may be a congressional solution. Congress could solve this problem. They chose not to in the 2018 Farm Bill. They kind of, you know, they they punted it for for all practical purposes to FDA, and but really Congress could solve this problem if it chose to. It seems that there's enough support in Washington right now. Well, at least in the uh, Democratic dominated congressional halls, I think that they're making a lot of indications that they are going to start passing even just adult use laws. Um, descheduling or decriminalizing cannabis across the board, which would be really interesting. But I think that unless they deal with the oversight of the DEA on these issues, it, which, you know, obviously the DEA is going to mandate that these CBD companies undergo the millions of dollars it's going to require to do the clinical testing and then sell their products only for a specific disease type. I mean, it just seems like such a such an imposition, if you will, and that's not a strong enough word for the industry that is already thriving because of public demand for a perfectly harmless substance. Right. And I think, I think what the point would be, the, the, I, I, again, I think Congress could solve this pretty easily by saying, as long as you're not making medical claims, you can infuse food products or beverages with CBD or some level of CBD. Um, you know, Congress could solve this problem probably, frankly, probably more easily than FDA can. Um, but FDA is constrained by this, by the food, by this Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act, by the statute. And they are going to attempt to go through what's known as rulemaking, or at least look at whether or not they can do this through rulemaking. And like I said, I think where they're, if they are able to do it through rulemaking, where they'll come down is that some small, limited amount of CDB CBD can be infused into a food product and or a beverage, um, and then there'll be labeling requirements and things like that, um, but they're only going to do that if they have the scientific data to be able to do it, which is, again, why I would encourage your listeners to, if they have science, to submit comments to the FDA backing up what they would like to do. 
Yeah, that's an excellent call to action. So if if someone were to call their congressional representative and fight for this issue or ask them to present legislation that would protect those companies, would they basically be asking them to pass a law that says that CBD and all cannabinoids are generally recognized as safe in order for the industry to continue doing what it does as if it were uh, vitamin C? Yeah, they could do that. That would certainly be a way. I mean, they could, Congress could certainly pass a law saying CBD is, should be generally recognized as, as safe. The, uh, the Congress could also pass a law saying that CBD infused in food below a certain amount is not re- to be regulated by the FDA, much like they did with the with dietary supplements. You know, dietary supplements have a much lighter regulatory framework than um, than drugs do. You still have to you, you there's certain things that you can say about a dietary supplement that, that you do not convert it into a drug, um, but you 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 there's a line there. But, but the the Congress has carved out. Um, because originally, a long time before the passage of the Shia, the FDA was regulating dietary supplements or claiming to regulate dietary supplements as drugs. And obviously, that's a big industry um, that was able to get Congress to um, carve out of the of the drug requirement of the drug approval requirements in in, in certain circumstances, uh, dietary supplements. That's interesting. I wasn't aware of that. So how long ago was that? Do you know? Um, let me, can you give me one second? I'll look up when Deshia passed. Absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, 1994. Okay. So that's something to aspire to as a potential solution. <laughs> that That's yes. a lot better. It's a lot better than the path of having to go through an exhaustive clinical trial when your product works for like 20 different disease problems, and you can only do a clinical trial for one at a time. <laughs> right. It's the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. And it was passed, you know, basically to support it, to allow that industry to continue to thrive. So does it actually name the herbs and vitamins and ingredients and supplements that are covered under that law? I mean, could they actually do an amendment? To no, an amendment? it's actually a very good question a very comp- with a very complicated answer. Um, into dietary supplements, there are categories. There are what are known as old dietary ingredients, which are foods that were generally consumed before a cutoff date in, in, by the public. And then there are what are known as new dietary ingredients, which are things that came after that period of time that you'd like to put into, into a dietary supplement. And new dietary ingredients have to go through a, clear, a clearance process with the FDA, a new dietary ingredient application is filed. And it has to have certain data that they're safe to consume. So that is something to aspire to then? I think that something similar to, to uh, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994 could be a congress, uh, congressional way to solve this problem. And a problem that you've rightly identified. Yeah. So. Let's say if echinacea were new and they had to go through this application process, what kind of proof would the FDA require for that? You have to demonstrate safety and then what the, how it's derived. There's a whole application that you have to go through. There's a whole number of things that you have to demonstrate. I think this is an incredibly valuable information. Um, go ahead. I'll give you a good example. Okay. 
Um, do you know um, red yeast? Yes. Okay, red yeast was is consumed by people for for a long time, but if you extract the chemical from red yeast, that is an that is not a dietary ingredient because it is um, an active pharmaceutical ingredient in a in a in a drug product. Okay. So red okay. yeast can be included in in foods because people have consumed it for a long long time. The thing that actually helps people in red yeast cannot be pulled out of the red yeast and then put into a dietary supplement. Okay, so that's a similar situation because it was identified as an active pharmaceutical ingredient. Okay, so so because Epidiolex has this active ingredient called CBD, that might apply this way as well. So if... Hmm. So, so someone could could sell red yeast in whole, but not the extract. Correct. Just like you can sell hemp seeds, or hemp oil, or hemp. Um, there's one other. Hemp that, herd, that, the the protein. Yeah, yeah. There we go. The protein. Thank you. Those you can sell. You can put those into foods. Oh, it's a conundrum, isn't it? <laughs> it is a conundrum. It, it is a conundrum. Yeah, I mean, and considering how far along this industry is and just the overwhelming demand for CBD because it is helping so many people, it's, you know, it's kind of sad that we have to revert backwards in this regard, you know, for the industry. Right. I think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about or that I've talked to people about is it's less gray now, but that's not necessarily, has not necessarily solved the problem. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes sense. It's, it's not necessarily a good thing <laughs> that we have right, more clarity right, exactly. on it. But, and, you know, I, it, it's just astonishing to me. And I'm constantly scratching my head when I, when I read, you know, just some of the rather crazy opinions that people have about CBD. And it's, it's all about protecting pharmaceuticals, too. And I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, except when it comes to cannabis, because obviously, you know, for almost well, more than 80 years now, 82 years to be exact, you know, there's been a lot of misinformation that's been force fed into the public perceptions <laughs> about cannabis, about anything having to do with what started out as the, the 1937 Tax Stamp Act and reefer madness and all of that. And for some reason, it's still permeating the collective conscience in a way that it's been really hard to overcome with a plant that's never killed anybody it just it is it, it never ceases to boggle my mind right i think the fda's position at least on cbd which is which is different from cannabis because cannabis you know is still a listed is still listed as a controlled substance you no know, we that that hurdle has not been crossed over yet but well, the yeah. fda's position with with uh, cbd ahead. is that there are known risks um, that came out of the studies for epidiolex, particularly for potentials for liver liver problems. Now, epidiolex is at a higher concentration, and one of their concerns, the FDA's concerns that it is voiced, is that if somebody is taking one of epidiolex and then they also take a CBD-infused substance, they could be overdosing themselves. Um, now... Again, I think the FDA has has said, you know, 
if you if you if you're compliant with state law, we're going to exercise enforcement discretion unless you're making medical claims. And the reason they don't want people making medical claims is they want them to go to their doctors. Uh, now, do I think that the that a pharmaceutical company might sue the FDA if they uh, if they allowed people to make medical claims about CBD? Absolutely, because those companies have invested a lot of money in getting their drug approvals to treat certain disease states. Well, <laughs> when you when you say that, it it sort of makes me think of the very first car manufacturers that did a lot of research to come up with their engine, and so they would they would uh, sue the FTC for regulating the car industry and allowing other people to make cars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, again, we go back to the conundrum. But the other catch-22 here is that doctors, because they are licensed by the DEA to prescribe drugs, are still not permitted because CBD, is, well, you, you can correct me, you're the lawyer, I'm not, I'm just the one doing some research here, but doctors would not be technically allowed under federal law to prescribe CBD because it does have its own numerical code. Or was it scheduled down to like schedule two or something? Thing? Well, I, you, you are correct in that they cannot prescribe, well, they could prescribe epidiolex, they could prescribe the, the, the drug, the approved drug, or, in the, in, or any, any of the two approved drugs. They cannot prescribe, and they and, and in states where it's legal, like where there's medical marijuana, they don't prescribe medical marijuana because they can't prescribe it. They use a most states use a different term. Um, recommend. Because, recommend right because they're because the, the physicians can't prescribe it for exactly the reasons that you've pointed out. Right. They would be violating federal law. Right. So when epidiolex. Because if I'm remembering correctly, they actually were able to get their active ingredient scheduling reduced to two or three or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't remember. I'm sorry. I just don't yeah, no worries. But head. but the point is, I believe that they got the active ingredient, which is CBD, but they got that reduced in the schedule, in the controlled substance of schedules. But CBD, which is the same ingredient that they're using in there, is still classified as part of marijuana with its own numerical code in Schedule 1. So technically, you could say that it is a Schedule 1 drug. So doctors couldn't prescribe that alone. They'd have to prescribe only the epidiolex if somebody wanted to have a high dose of CBD and who knows what else is in it. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you know, a doctor, doctors can prescribe products for off-label use and frequently do um, within the, within the um, as long as it falls within the practice of medicine. Um, so conceivably, a doctor could do that, could prescribe epidiolex if, to, for somebody to get a CBD. But, you know, part of me, for your average person who's in a state where it's legal or your company who's in a state where, where CBD products are legal, the FDA is, at least to the best of my knowledge, not taking enforcement action absent what, I, absent what we talked about earlier, absent medical claims. Right. So the big cautionary tale here is big companies that have CBD and sell it online and distribute it to Whole Foods and places like that absolutely should stay away from telling any stories on their website about the medical benefits of CBD if they are selling CBD. Would you say that that's a very safe I agree. bet? I, yeah, those, that's where the warning letters have come from, from 2015 to 2017. 
They've come from people who are making claim, making claim, or even linking on their website other people's claims about what CBD does. And the other thing they have to be careful about is, as we found in Idaho, not shipping through or into states where it's not legal right now. We all thought that the Farm Bill would answer this question, but apparently maybe not quite yet. Yeah, and I feel so sorry for the truck driver who... I feel really bad for him. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> Can you imagine his legal bills? <laughs> I mean, oh, the poor thing. And, and, you know, he was just driving what he thought was a legal substance. And right. here we go. Yeah, well, you know what? I think it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens here. And I think that there's enough demand for people, you know, demand for CBD and demand for other cannabinoids given the science. But when, when you're talking about how they can't link to stories on other people's websites, really the only thing that they could do if they wanted to associate their product with anything related to health benefits would be to put banners on websites like ours, for example, where we can post studies and things like that. I mean, that wouldn't be illegal for people to do, correct? No, you're allowed to post studies, but but this is this is... This is where you get into what's known as labeling under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which is different than the label. Right. The label is what's on the outside of the package. The labeling is what you say about your products. Yeah. And the FDA takes a totality look at everything that you're saying. So um, I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a case that involved honey. And the flyers with the honey, which actually weren't on the honey, but they were near the honey talked about how the honey would help with certain um, um, arthritis or, or certain other things like that. And the FDA said, that's, that's promotional material. It's labeling. You can't, make, you can't make disease claims about honey. And so people have to be very, my, I'm not trying to sell lawyers, but <laughs> if you're going to advertise your CBD products, it's a really good idea to have a lawyer that knows what they're doing look at your promotional material so you yeah. don't cross over those lines. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and also it does drive home the importance of just associating with media outlets because, you know, a banner on, on a publication as an advertisement wouldn't really constitute that same promotional problem. Is that correct or am I? Well, I, I guess I... Oh, oh. You can post something on your website. Right. And then we can uh, have people advertise on our site so that their pictures of their CBD product is sitting right there so that they're. Yes. I think the FDA would. You have a First Amendment right to publish those. And Correct. you have a, you have uh, a, people have a right to advertise on your Web page. Correct. They, they just can't link to the articles or things like that. That's where they would run into problems if they did the linking, not you. Yeah. Right. Okay. So here's another question then. If someone were to, let's say, put a sponsored article up, they are a medical expert, but they happen to be associated with a company. And as part of their marketing, they want their expert to look like the expert. So their expert writes a letter, uh, or not a letter, but an article, puts it on a website. And there's no link to the product associated with what he's saying about the medical benefits of cannabis or CBD in this instance. But his author bio has his company name. Is that okay? <laughs> it, it, that's a, that's another very complicated question. There are there are a ton of um, actually guidances from FDA about that. Um, so if if his article is linked 
to a spot to the company's web page, that's not okay. If he's just listed and it's a scientific article, if he, he would have to disclose the fact that he works for this company to get it to get it published anyway, to get it peer reviewed. He most uh, most peer reviewed journals would require him to disclose that he works for a company that, that has an interest. Um, there are it's a very complicated First Amendment question, um, to be totally, you know, that I don't know that I, I, I don't know that I can answer without looking at the specific circumstances. Right. So, but he could mention his company. He just couldn't link to it anywhere. Like if the if company he... couldn't link to it, the company can't link to it. Right. The company can't link to his article. Of course, right. he can mention his company. You know, yeah. of course. Very interesting. Well, you know, as a media outlet, that's something I need to consider too. Because I don't want to get anybody in trouble for <laughs> publishing an article about <laughs> the miracles of medical marijuana and then have them get arrested by somebody raiding their facility. <laughs> yeah, it's a conundrum still. I mean, and I'm sure you must have clients in the space that need advice about applying for the right to sell their CBD. If you were advising a new client, what's the very first thing you would tell clients in a consultation about what they do? Oh, sure. Sure. Because I, I do this a lot. I would say, let's first look at what states you want to operate, in which you want to operate. Okay? And then once we've looked at the states in which you want to operate, let's talk about where, where you're going, how you're going to source it to make sure you're compliant with the farm bill. And how are you going to demonstrate that it meets the requirements of the, far, of the farm bill? And then I would say, then have us look at your promotional material to make sure it's compliant. There's, there's several steps. The first is, where do you want to operate? The second is, where are you going to get it? The third is, how are you going to assure that it complies with the farm bill? Um, and the fourth is, what are you going to say about it? And the other thing I would say is that the FDA, certainly the FDA treats treats topicals and cosmetics differently than it does foods and beverages and dietary supplements. Right. And they've said that. The FDA has said that. That's interesting. Okay. And then if someone were being approached by the FDA, how do you ask them to handle that? Like if they did make a, a claim accidentally, okay. I mean, how much trouble are they in? <laughs> so here's the deal on that. In general, what the FDA would do is send them what's known as a warning letter which is basically stop doing this. Right. If you stop doing it, you're probably done. If you don't stop doing it, they are going to become more and more aggressive. In, but generally, if you stop doing it, that's going to be the end of it, unless there has been some type of patient harm. Okay. If there's been patient harm, then we're talking about a different story. I see. So obviously, if they did any harm, <laughs> which of course they probably won't. <laughs> right. I mean, again, if, if somebody's sourcing product that's the, from, a, from, you know, um, legitimate sources to comply with the farm bill and they're testing their product to assure that it complies with the farm bill, you're right. The, the risk, the, the risk is, is probably relatively low, and that's something I think Congress has recognized. And then what about in the states where they haven't passed any regulation yet for CBD or for whole plant cannabis? For example, I mentioned in the beginning that a woman who's a great-grandmother was enjoying a day at the park with her great-grandchildren, and 
they searched her bag at the security check and found a bottle of CBD. They tested it. It had traces of THC in it, so she got arrested. The farm bill doesn't protect her in any way. Is that correct? The farm bill does not override state law except for purposes of uh, once they pass the once they get the regulations in place, you'll be able to ship it across state lines. But it does not make it's not going to make CBD products legal in every state. Okay, that's still going to be a matter for state law. Yeah. So it's it's buyer, consumer and producer beware in this instance. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so the bottom line is we need people like you. I'll give you a perfect example. I live in New Hampshire. Okay. Every state around New Hampshire has, has legalized marijuana in one way or the other, except New Hampshire. Right. We have a town in New Hampshire that basically, it's, it's Conway, and it basically shares the border with Freiburg, Maine. Marijuana is legal in Freiburg. It's not legal in Conway. Listen. The, the the police have basically said, we're not going to, unless you're doing something stupid, we're not going to like arrest you for it because we understand. But they've also said in New Hampshire, if you cross state lines and you buy and you bring it across and then you sell it, even though it was legal in Vermont, you can't do that. We will come after you for di- for distribution. So I, it, it's a it's a difficult. You need to understand the, the laws of the state, and if you're a consumer, the laws of the state in which you reside too. Yeah, and recognize that. Yeah, because ignorance is absolutely no defense. That is correct. Yeah, so that must be difficult in places like New Hampshire. I mean, in five minutes, you're in another state. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. In any direct, in any direction from wherever you are, it's such a small. I mean, I'm exaggerating, of course, but you know, like I know, like if you're in Delaware, for example, it takes five minutes to get over to the next state. It's it, everything is very congested up there in terms of geography, and who knows if you're crossing into an area that where it's illegal, and if you get pulled over and there are dogs, you might be in real trouble. <laughs> right. Well, and the dogs can't dis- differentiate for the most part, between hemp products and, and marijuana products either. Yeah, I think you probably, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Ergo, the problem with the poor truck driver in Idaho. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? It's tough. It's really tough. And I hope that it begins to relax. And I, I just wish we could get back to that. America is the land of the free and not have to jump through all of these hoops because somebody, you know, made a drug out of something that was a perfectly natural plant substance, etc. You know, it will be interesting. So I know you need to go and uh, we're getting a signal here that it's time to start wrapping it up. Do you have any last thoughts or anything on your mind? Any last thoughts you'd like our audiences to know? Sure. I would just say, I would say, you know, the, the law is in flux here. Um, I think if you're, if you're, if you're going to operate a CBD business and you're not going to operate solely in a state where you know it's legal, if you're looking at, at operating in an interstate, you're probably going to want to make sure you uh, take a really good look and make sure that what you're doing is, is legal because it differs from state to state. And that would be my advice to, to people. And if you're selling stuff, if you're selling it on the internet, make sure that you've got good controls in place uh, for your internet sales to assure that you're not shipping into states where it's not legal. 
And don't make medical claims. <laughs> absolutely. I think most importantly, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this has been very, very valuable information. And I thank you so much. Oh, you're more than welcome. And, you know, if, if you'd like to talk again after the May 31st meeting, FDA's uh, public hearing, I don't think we're going to learn a ton. But if you want to send me an email and ask me if I think it's worth talking again after that, I'm happy to. Great. Oh, I'm happy to let you know whether I think it's worth your time talking to me. (laughs) I would love that. And actually, I would love to have you back on the show at a time after we do get a little bit more clarity about this so that you can help us sort it out. Because there's so much to unpack here. And this is definitely one of those industries that absolutely must have legal counsel. I totally agree with that. I think you're putting yourself at risk if you don't. Your business and you and your business at risk without good legal counsel. Legal counsel that knows the area. Yeah, absolutely. And well, thank you so much, Rick, for helping us to gain a better understanding about this. Okay, great. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So before we close the show, I want to urge each and every one of you listening to please reach out and talk to your congressional representatives and also Please do send commentary for the May 31st meeting with the FDA. Every bit of correspondence will help in this matter. So once again, I would like to personally thank my guest, Rick Ball, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that he's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com and click podcast to find today's episode. That's where you'll find his bio along with information about his firm and links to his website. We have so many people to thank. First, I would like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsor, Sunstate Technology Group, Canisphere Biotech, and Terra for supporting our show. I'd also like to thank my production team here at the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show for always making us shine, and our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. When you think of chips relative to cannabis, microchips may not come to mind. Hi, I'm Terry from Sunstate Technology Group here to tell you that our chips help cannabis companies compete and succeed. From planning and expansion to hardware and daily IT support, Sunstate proudly serves the technology needs of the cannabis industry. You know that having the right technology is critical to security and smooth business operations. Partner with a technology team that understands the unique needs of this industry. For details, visit sunstatetech.com cannabis. You're busy. Running around from work to kids to evening events, healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra. For only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids, by the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24-7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.